Amen. While you're standing, just reach down and get your Bible. Open it up to Galatians chapter 6. What a great presence of the Lord is here this morning. Thank you to all of our team. Pastors Chris and Yolanda, the worship team. Don't they do an incredible job every week leading us into the presence of the Lord? Amen. It's my pleasure to be here with you. Um, Again, I am just excited to be a part of the team here at Triumph Church with all of the other pastors and elders. Directly serving in the Nederland campus is is my primary assignment, but uh, I get to be with all campuses at different times, and I love each of you. And we want to welcome you today. Uh, Pastor Randon's in Malibu, but uh, he'll be back. No, I'm just kidding. We did a little swap. He's in Nederland today preaching for me, and I'm here preaching for him. So we're just uh, having fun. We want to welcome all of you who are watching online. Uh, We appreciate you uh, worshiping with us, and there's no distance in God. And we know that you're experiencing the same power and presence of God right in your living room, in your workplace, wherever you are, just as we are here. Especially want to welcome my lovely wife, Pastor Christine, who is watching from the Medical Center of Southeast Texas in Port Arthur, Texas. And uh, she is laid up in the hospital, but she is watching and worshiping with us online. And baby, I know that you're going to receive a great touch from God today. We've all been praying, and you're going to do really, really good. Uh, She is in the hospital for uh, viral meningitis. And uh, just something came in and swept us off our feet on Thursday. But she's doing better each day. And uh, many of you have prayed and, and let us know how much you love us via Facebook. And I just thank you for that. She feels all of it. We know it. We're carried. We know the devil can't touch us. He can't kill us. He can't harm us. He's trying to steal our money and trying to cause us to be distracted. But we're going to make him pay us back for it all. huh? She said, don't stay up here with me. You go preach. Y'all carry on just as planned. Because uh, God's going to do great things today. Amen. Let's read Galatians chapter 6 verse 9. Then we'll pray and be seated. Galatians chapter 6 verse 9. Familiar to many of you. And let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap. Shout we will reap. But look at the catch. If we don't give up. Just put your hand right there on your Bible. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the privilege to open your word. Speak to our hearts today. Change us. Do wonderful things with us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, turn around, slap somebody, high five them, handshake, fist bump, headlock, noogie, right hook, left hook, uppercut, however ugly they've been to you, pay them back before you're seated. I'm going to let you turn over also to Daniel chapter 6. That's where we're going to be at for most of the message today. But uh, the message I want to bring to you today, the word that's in my spirit for each of you today, is summed up in this title, It's Not Over Until God Says It's Over. Can you say that with me? It's not over until God says it's over. Regardless of what everybody else says, my dad used to say, it ain't over till the fat lady sings, but... It ain't even over when the fat lady sings. It's not over until God says it's over. Now let me tell you just real quickly about me. Uh, I have Pentecostal roots and I am more Pentecostal in my expression. And what that means is I like it when you talk back at me. If you like what I'm saying, say I like it. If you don't like it, say no, no, get off that preacher. God did die, but he did raise again. So we don't have to be quiet and somber. We can be excited. Because here's the good news, it's not over until God says 
it's over. So we're going to be in Daniel chapter 6, and I want us to, to look at this great story of an incredible man of God by the name of Daniel. And this may be familiar to some of you from Sunday school when we would title it Daniel in the Lion's Den. Anybody ever heard about that story before? Daniel in the Lion's Den? Okay, well, we're going to talk a little bit about that today because the story of this man, Daniel, is absolutely incredible. And it's not just a kid's story, but it's something that each of us can find relevance in uh, the pages of Scripture and in this story. Uh, Daniel was an incredible man. Uh, Daniel was carried off, and his life was incredible. He was carried off into exile. He was stripped from his people, from his national, from his uh, national, from his country, and he was. Uh, put into exile early, early as a young teenager into Babylonian captivity. One of the wicked, most wicked civilizations in the history of the world was Babylon. And Daniel was thrust as a great Hebrew young boy, one of the sharpest and the brightest. He was carried away from his family and away from his religion and away from his culture and thrust into a wicked system. However, Daniel was a man who knew God and he thrived even in a hostile environment. How many of you know you don't have... Just because you can live for God in the church don't mean you're living for God. (laughs) But can you live for God and can you thrive and can you prosper and can you love Jesus even when everybody around you doesn't like you? And so Daniel was thrust into this environment. However, he held his integrity. He decided he was not going to defile himself. God promoted him. He was incredibly successful. He was the right hand of the wicked ruler of that day because of God's favor that was upon him, because he didn't compromise, because he loved and served God and held to his convictions in spite of all the people around him. Daniel was an incredible man. And by the time we look at this story in Daniel chapter 6, the Daniel in the lion's den, uh, regardless of what your flannel graph, from those of you who are really old, or your storybook Bible told you, Daniel wasn't a young man at this time. Scripture says that Daniel was about 80 years old when we get to this story today. So Daniel had been living for nearly 80 years in in a godless culture, maintaining his integrity, God delivering him, God promoting him. He had seen incredible stuff, but Daniel was 80, but he was still going. Daniel had passed the test and he was old, but he was still trucking. Look at somebody and say, you're old, but it's okay. God's still got a plan for you. He had seen his friends thrown in the fiery furnace and God deliver them. He had had dreams pronouncing judgment, seeing the finger of God right on the wall, pronouncing judgment on his society, yet God preserved him. He had seen all kinds of miracles that, and, and, and tragedies that could have swayed him, but he stayed true to God. All 80 years old, he was still doing great things for Jesus. Daniel had a history with God. And let me just tell you, if you want to survive and you want to thrive and you want to make it, you got to build a history with God. There are some things you can't just memorize out of Scripture and quote three Scriptures and slap, your, uh, you know, your, slap a devil in the face and say it's all. You've got to build a history with God. You've got to have up times and down times and times when it looked like things weren't going to come through, but God pulled you through. You've got to wake up in the middle of the night crying and going before the Lord and asking Him to heal and asking Him to move. And when you see God come through time and time and time and time again, it gives you a history with God and when you get a history with God nothing will phase you right and you know I guess uh, one of the problems with our culture is sometimes we quit too soon I don't know uh, there's something about our culture today that we just want to quit way too soon if a job doesn't work we quit if a marriage doesn't work we quit If if, if a child doesn't work we quit we give them away no I'm just kidding 
We wish we could sometimes, but we can't. If a church doesn't work, somebody looks at us crazy, somebody says something we don't like, we quit. There's a hundred other churches we can go to. We quit too soon. And we rob ourselves of the benefit of stickability and building a history in a company, a history in a relationship, a history in a church that gives you character, that makes you strong. We live in a microwave culture and we want instant theology. We want it all, all the preachers to preach about us and tell us how good we are and how great we can become and how much money God wants to give us and how happy He wants to make us and how quickly He wants to do it all. But some things just take time. Long, enduring faithfulness. We're in a culture that overvalues 15 minutes of fame and undervalues a lifetime of faithfulness. We want to give all the props to the superstar that came up overnight. How many of you, you know what I'm talking about when I say a one-hit wonder? You remember those guys? They're the hottest, biggest thing. They came out with the greatest song or the greatest style or whatever. And now you, can't even, you don't even know where they are. Vanilla Ice, I saw the other day, was doing home improvement stuff. And at one time, he was the biggest white rapper you ever heard of this side of heaven. Now he's working on houses somewhere. He had a great song, Ice Ice Baby, but it was a one-hit wonder. <laughs> he stopped, collaborated, and listened too long, and the world passed him by. <laughs> God is looking for long-term faithfulness. He's looking for some lifers. I love it when people put those bumper stickers on their car, try Jesus. Baloney, you can't try Jesus. It's not like you try Jesus, if he don't work, you give him back. No, God is looking for long-term stickability through danger, through toil, through snare, as Amazing Grace says. I've already come. Good times, bad times, ugly times. You see, we want in our culture, we want the spoil without the war. See, we want, all the, all, we want to bring back all the treasure from battle without ever having to fight. Right? That's not how God does things. I remember when I was a brand new Christian, my aunt uh, taught me an old hymn. And probably 99% of you won't even recognize it. But it was called Contrast. And it said, before every victory, there's a battle to fight. Before every sunrise, one must live through the night. And before the grave bursts open on the resurrection morn, there's a hill to climb and a cross to be born. Because our life as a believer is a life of contrast, incredible highs and deep lows, great mountaintops and great valleys. But the constant is our God has never left us and will never leave us. And the same God that can care for us on the mountaintop can walk through us in the valley because it's not over until God says it's over. So Daniel had long-term faithfulness. And in chapter 6, we see that Daniel, in verse 3, got another promotion. Everybody shout promotion. Y'all didn't like that other stuff, so let me get on promotion. God wants to promote you. He wants to bless you. He's got something around the corner for you. Isn't that crazy how all preachers, they just get onto that stuff. Everybody likes that. You'll shout and run the aisles and be happy, all that. Before we shout about the promotion, let me see. Why did God promote Daniel? Look at verse 3 of Daniel chapter 6. Then this Daniel became, look at this, distinguished, distinguished above all the other presidents and satraps. I'm in Daniel chapter 6, verse 3. Because, everybody shout because. He had an excellent spirit was in him. And the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. 
Daniel distinguished himself. He had a, let me just tell you this. You can shout. You can lay your hands on the TV screen. You can tell three people, God's going to promote me. There's a blessing around my corner. I'm getting a promotion. God's elevating me. You can do all that kind of garbage and, and, and think that you don't have to change or you don't have to be excellent or you don't have to distinguish, and you ain't getting no promotion. God elevated Daniel, praise God, but why? Because he distinguished himself. He had an excellent spirit. He did the hard work of making himself integrous and strong and long-term, and God promoted him. Let me ask you this question. Why do you deserve a promotion? Want to go tell all your prayer? Pray for me, prayer partner, because God's going to give me a promotion. I need a promotion. Why do you deserve a promotion? For coming in late, milking the clock, taking off when it wasn't time to take off, talking and gossiping about your boss, dishonoring your family. Or for distinguishing yourself and having an excellent spirit. So God promoted him. And look at the next thing that happened in verse 4. We're just going to kind of carry through parts of this chapter. In verse 4, what's the next thing that happened after God promoted him? But the enemy had a plot against him. Look at verse 4. Then... The, pre, the presidents and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel. Listen, some people will leave you alone as long as you stay where you are. But when you start trying to break out of the box, start trying to change your family tree, break off addictions, prosper, bring education into a family lineage that's filled with poverty and ignorance, then, then the enemy's going to pop up his ugly head. Because there's something about it. But, but some people love you as long as you stay right where you are and comfortable with them. But when you want to advance. See, God promoted Daniel and, and the presidents and the satraps, they didn't care about him when he was at this level. But when God promoted him, it says, then they started trying to find something wrong with him. They started trying to find something against him. Let me just tell you that everybody doesn't love you. Look at somebody and say, I love you. But listen, everybody doesn't love you. Everybody is not your best friend. Everybody is not looking for your excellent promotion and for your advancement. And they sought to find something wrong with Daniel. And look at the verse. It says, with regards to the kingdom, but they could find no ground for complaint or any fault. Why? Because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. Daniel was excellent, right? But then it also says, look at this, he was faithful. He was faithful. Let me tell you, the devil hates faithful people. People that regardless what he throws at them will just keep on being faithful. He hates the faithfully righteous. The man or woman who will just keep coming, on, coming home to the same spouse night after night. And though they have opportunity to get outside of the marriage and to cheat, they won't cheat because they just keep being faithful. When they feel the love and when they don't feel the love, they just keep being faithful. And God hates that. When somebody just keeps, excuse me, not God, the devil hates that. <laughs> the person that just keeps paying their tithe when they're rich and when they're broke, they just keep paying their tithe. The devil hates that kind of faithfulness because it means that you're in line for a great promotion. And it said he was blameless. There was no fault in him. I'm talking about somebody that God blesses. Now I know we want to think that God's going to put his hand on anybody and everybody. And promote everybody and love everybody and make everybody famous and prosperous. But the fact of the matter is God's looking for long term faithfully righteous people. Who do what's right even when it's tough. And who have no fault in them. Let me ask you this question. If, if someone were to convict you for being a Christian. Would there be enough evidence for the conviction to hold? 
Is there evidence in your life? Or are you a Christian in name? It's so funny. We were at the hospital the other day. And we had the privilege to witness to all of our doctors. We were able to witness to our neurologists. And pray for our ER nurse. And pray for our uh, internal medicine doctor yesterday. Just good things. You know, we're going to just take dominion wherever we go. Right? But uh, my, uh, our neurologist, we were talking and found out that his wife had worked out with my wife. And we didn't know because they had different last names. And, uh, and so my wife, just from the sickbed, tubes all in her nose, IV, she was like, where do you go to church? What religion are you? you know? He said, well, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a Catholic. or I'm a non-, He said, I'm a non-practicing Catholic. I said, well, come on over to try it. We got a bunch of non-practicing Christians there too. <laughs> it doesn't matter what you say. Let's look at your life. God looks, the scripture says, the eyes of the Lord look all around the earth and he's looking for someone whose heart is fully toward him so that he can support them. God wants to support you when your heart is toward him. So they had a, they had a, a, a plot against this old Daniel. Shout, it's not over. And in this plot that they had developed, they had set a trap. And here was the trap. I'll summarize. They said, look, they went to the king and they said, hey, king, let's do this. Let's... Because you're such an awesome king, let's just make it a rule that no one can pray to any other god but you, great King Darius, for 30 days. And if anybody prays to any other god, then he will be punished and he will be thrown into the den of lions. The devil set a trap for Daniel. And let me just tell you this, the devil sets a trap for you. And he waits to see how you're going to respond. I know everybody thinks the devil knows everything. Let me just tell you, the devil doesn't know everything. Sometimes I hear more Christians giving testimonies and praying, praising the devil than they are Jesus. Well, you know, the devil's been after me, and he's got my family, and he's got my money, and he's got this. I'm like, stop giving him all the credit. And the devil knows what I'm doing. He knows everything. He knows. Listen, the devil doesn't know everything. God knows all. What the devil does is he just sets a trap for you, and then he stands back to see if you'll take the bait, if you'll fall into the trap. He doesn't know if it's going to work. He just lays it out there. And if it works, he looks back through your history and said, well, it worked this time, worked this time, worked this time. Maybe it'll work this time. All he can see is what's already happened. He can't see what is yet to be. Let me tell you, there, the devil doesn't know what God has planned for you. And he doesn't know what you have planned. He doesn't know if it works or not. The scripture says that the secret things, God, God has concealed certain things. And we'll talk about that in a minute. But the devil set a trap for Daniel and he was going to see. Now is this man, I'm set a trap. Now is he going to be cowardly or is he going to be courageous in his long-term faithfulness to God? Now let's look at Daniel's response. Look at verse 10 of chapter 6. When Daniel knew... That the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in the upper chamber open towards Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. When Daniel knew that the king had already settled it, it was over. If there was something that anyone would pray to anybody else, they would be thrown in the... He didn't faze him. But, but I love what it says. He did what he had done previously. You see, you can't, you can't get ready for a battle when the battle gets here. you got to get ready for the battle before the battle gets here. 
So you'll be able to stand. See, Daniel had a life of faithfulness. And so when this thing came, he said, man, I saw, I remember the time when they threw my buddies in a fiery furnace, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So he just did what he had always done. He went into his room, he opened his windows, he kneeled before Solomon's temple, and he prayed. I guess prayer is probably the, the most underestimated, undervalued, underutilized tool that we could ever have as believers. Don't underestimate the power of prayer. When you can't do something, you can still pray. When you don't know what actions you need to take, you can still pray. When you don't have anybody else that you feel like you can talk to, guess what? You can talk to God and you can pray. Daniel was persistence. When when there was tough times, Daniel didn't stop praying. Let me tell you, don't stop praying. When the enemy sets a trap for you, when he pops his ugly head up, don't stop praying. Don't give up. We quit way too soon. Don't be like the culture, but embrace the power of God and the faithfulness of God. And don't stop praying. Don't worry about it. Pray about it. Don't talk about it. Pray about it, right? Don't try to figure it all out. What do you need to do? Just pray about it. When it looks like that nothing's changing, just pray about it. Because it's not over until God says that it's over. So I wish I could tell you the story turned around for the great, greatness because God, Daniel prayed, you know. But uh, Daniel prayed and then he was convicted of his crime and he was sentenced to death. Isn't that great? How would you like for your, answer, your, your prayers to have that kind, of, that kind of answers? Oh, Jesus, I'm believing you. I've lived for you for 80 years. I've seen you deliver me. I've seen great things happen. And I know, praise God, I've already called my whole prayer work. I had the pastors and elders put oil on my head. And I touched three people when the pastor told me to touch three people and tell them I'm getting a breakthrough. And I did all that. And I'm convicted. And I'm sentenced to death. Look at verse 14. It says that, then the king, when he had heard these words, was it much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel and labored till the sun went down to rescue him. See, the king loved Daniel because of his faithfulness and he didn't want him to go to the lion's den, but he had already settled the matter. He had already uh, declared that, that this was the law. He had signed it. He had put his stamp on it. And even the king tried to deliver him, but he couldn't deliver him. And so the king was brought to his own account. And had to hold up his own law. And so as this story proceeds. We see that the king uh, had to throw Daniel into the lion's den. So there was a pit of hungry lions. And they, they put Daniel into the pit full of lions. And they, they, they put a stone there. And, and, and the king when he threw him in he said. Daniel may your God whom you serve deliver you. See, we want to think sometimes that just because we serve God and follow God and pray and do what's right, then we never have to go through anything difficult. I wish I could tell that to you, but it'd be a lie. Because good people, faithful people, people who serve God and pay their tithes and worship Jesus and stand in the midst of adversity have to go through things sometimes. But the difference is, regardless of what the situation looks like, it's not over until God says that it's over. Let's look at verse 17, and let's bring this story down. It says that uh, when, when, the, when the king threw him in there, and he said, May God deliver you, look at verse 17. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den. 
And the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the signet of his lords. Look at this, double underline this, that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. The king said, it's over. Nothing can be changed. He's in the den. I've rolled the stone on the den. I've put my signet ring, which means by the authority of the entire kingdom, he has broken the law. He has been convicted. He has been sentenced. And there is nothing that can be done from this point. Has anybody been in a situation that looked like that? That nothing else could change. Nothing else could be done. They cast him in. They rolled the stone over. They said, game over. He is metamucil for the lions. That's it. And look at the next verse. In verse 18, then the king went to his palace and he spent the night fasting. Look at this, this wicked king spent the night fasting for Daniel. No diversions were brought to him and sleep fled from him. He couldn't even sleep. And then look at verse 19. This is the place to shout about. Look at what verse 19 says of Daniel chapter 6. Do you all have it on the screen? It says, then at the break of day, shout at the break of day. Look at somebody and smile at them. Say, at the break of day. I love that because there's something about the night season. And you know what it is? There's always a time limit on it. You see, that's why the scripture says, weeping may endure for the night. But there's a time limit on it because joy comes in the morning. Daniel was thrown into the den. The stone was put on him. But the scripture says, then at the break of day, he may have been in the den all night long, but there was always a point where that night season is over. And look at what it says. At the break of day, the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. Look at this. The king's going to check on him. Verse 20. He says, and as he came near to the den where Daniel went, he cried out in a tone of anguish. He said, the king declared, oh, Daniel, servant of the living God. Has your God whom you serve continually, there's that faithfulness, been able to deliver you from the lions? Look at verse 21. Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. You see, that's where I would be a little different with Daniel. I'd be all jacked out. I'd be like, you sorry sucker. Oh, oh, I'm still here. You try to take me out, you sorry dog, but my God wins. Right? But Daniel was so integrous. He was so confident in who he was and who God had made him to be. The king said, oh, Daniel. He said, O king, live forever. He had honor in his life, even in the midst of trial and turmoil. He said, O king, live forever. Look at he said. He said, my God, look at this verse. He says, sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth, and they have not harmed me. Why? Because I was found blameless before him, and also before you, O king, I have done no Harm. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up from the den. So Daniel was taken up from the den and no harm was found on him because he had trusted in God. I want you to think about this. The king, having all the comforts and all the things that he needs in the palace, was restless all night long. But Daniel, the faithful, righteous man of God, was in the middle of a den full of lions in the dark. And he had more peace in a den of lions than the king had in his palace. 
Do you know why? Because your surrounding does not determine your state. That's the beauty of being a child of God. Is what's happening all around you does not have to affect what's happening in you. Your surroundings don't have to determine the state of being that you are in. You can have joy in the midst of trial. You can have joy in a night season. You can have confidence in God though you're in a pit with smelly lions throughout the night. It doesn't matter if you don't have that joy, that peace on the inside. It doesn't matter how good it is on the outside. You can have all the things like the king, but be restless on your pillow when you lay it down at night. But on the inside, there's an old song in the church that I grew up on. It said, the, this, uh, there's something on the inside that's working on the outside. When you have joy and peace inside, it doesn't matter what's going on all around you. Because your surrounding does not have to determine your state of being. And so Daniel said, the trap that the enemies laid for me didn't work. And what's so interesting is as you continue to read this story, you find out that the king got so fired up about it. He said, oh Daniel, your God is God. And he said, by the way, where are those suckers that laid this trap for you? And he took all of those guys that had prepared this trap for Daniel and he threw them into the lion's den and the lions tore them, the scripture says, limb from limb before they even reached the bottom of the den. So it wasn't like these lions were all full and that's why they didn't eat Daniel. But it was because God shut their mouth. And the very thing that the enemy had designed to work against Daniel, God turned it around and he worked the trap against the enemies of Daniel instead. Because Daniel was faithful. Now here's the key that I want you to get today. Is that God did not deliver Daniel from the lion's den. God delivered Daniel in the lion's den. God did not deliver him from that situation, but he delivered him in that situation. See, sometimes God will shield you from danger, but other times God will shield you in danger. Sometimes he'll keep you from going through a situation, but other times he'll let you walk right on into the middle of it to show you that he can protect you and he can shield you right in the middle of it. Shout amen. Amen. And here's the catch. And the key is you don't know going in which one it's going to be. So you've got to keep praying. You've got to keep being faithful. You have to keep standing. You have to keep being blameless and walking, believing that God is able. Because you don't know if God's going to deliver you from it or he's going to deliver you in it. But you can know that you know that you know that God will deliver you. And so when I see a situation that looks scary to me, that looks when the enemy sets a trap and I, 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 I have a, a fear that comes upon me and I start praying, I say, God, I don't know whether you're going to deliver me from it or whether you're going to deliver me in it. But I pray, God, that you would deliver me from it. Somebody say amen, right? I don't want to walk through this. I don't want to walk through this financial crisis. I don't want to walk through this employment transition. I don't want to walk through this marriage turmoil that's threatening my, my, my relationship. And we're praying and we're fasting and we're pleading, but yet we get right up to the point and we look around and we say, I never thought I'd be here. I never thought I would be in the middle of this situation. And it's at that point that the enemy wants you to give up and he wants you to say, I guess God didn't come through for me. 
Sometimes he will deliver you from it. But if you make it to the situation and you look around and there's a bunch of lion mess all around you and you're in a stinky, smelly, dark pit with a verdict sentenced over your head that looks like it's unchangeable, don't stop praying. Don't stop believing because it's not too late. It's not over until God says it's over. And when the enemy says it's over and when people say there's no hope, God loves to get right in the middle of that situation and change it for the good. Shout amen. Reminds me of a story about a man, a God-man named Jesus. Jesus who was born of a virgin and he had an excellent spirit on him like Daniel, right? In fact, the scripture says he had the spirit without measure on his life. He had an excellent spirit and God promoted him. God gave him a name that is above every name. God promoted him because he had an excellent spirit. But the enemy devised a plot against him. And Satan sought to destroy him. Pilate and Herod conspired against him. The religious leaders said, we don't want this praying man, this excellent spirit, this God man. We don't want this promoted man, this name, this man of Jesus to continue. And so they plotted against him. And they sought how they might kill him. But he was a praying man. Like Daniel. And he went to the Garden of Gethsemane and he prayed and he said, God, please deliver me from this situation. I don't want to go through what I see I'm about to walk through. But God did not deliver him. And he said, if this cup will not pass, then I will drink it. And not my will, but what? Your will be done. And so they took him and they bound his hands and his feet. They whipped him and beat him and put a crown of thorns on his hands. They stretched him on a cross and they crucified him. They pierced his side. And for Jesus, the game was over. All hell was rejoicing as Jesus died and his body hung there. They took it off the cross and they put it into a pit. They put it into a tomb and they rolled the stone on the mouth of the tomb just like they did on the den of Daniel. And they sealed it and they put a guard and they said, game over. And hell was rejoicing because the enemy thought that he had won. That's why I'm telling you, the devil doesn't know what God is up to. The devil was rejoicing. The religious leaders were all happy. They had killed this righteous, praying, effective man, excellent man of God. His body was in the grave and it was over. Look at somebody and say, it's not over until God says it's over. The religious leaders thought they won. Hell was rejoicing. Jesus was dead and his body was lying in the tomb. The stone was sealed over. The fat lady had been singing. And then the father looked down at the lifeless body of his son in the tomb. And he said, I didn't shield him from it, but I'm about to deliver him in it. And he said, Holy Spirit, go and raise that body. And the Holy Spirit came into the pit, the tomb, into the lifeless body of Jesus. In the same way that the angel came to visit Daniel in the pit of lions. And he raised the lifeless body of Jesus. And the stone was rolled away. And Jesus came out victorious because it's not over until God says it's over.
Paul says in 1 Corinthians that if the rulers of this age would have known, they didn't know, but if they knew what would happen, that God was going to meet him in the tomb, if they, if they knew that though he didn't save him from the cross, he was going to meet him in the tomb, it says they would have never crucified the Savior, Jesus Christ. Listen, the devil doesn't know what God is up to. You may be walking to your death, it looks like. You may be walking to the end of that relationship, to the end of that job, to the end of that situation. But don't stop. Don't let everyone else pronounce it's over when God has not said it's over. Because even though you're dead and you stink or there's lions all around you, God can raise you up. Whatever you're facing, it's not over till God says it's over. I can't help but think that Jesus, as he was in the garden and as he was walking through the cross, had to have flashbacks and remember. I remember. This looks all too familiar. It seems like what I remember about a man named Daniel. And as Jesus was praying, God deliver me, and God was not delivering him, he felt it as if it were Daniel. And as his body was placed in the tomb, he was recalling. Because do you know what? Sometimes you go through things for you. But other times you go through things for other people. I wonder if Daniel went through what he went through. So that a couple thousand years later, Jesus could look back and said, If God did it for Daniel, he can do it for me. If God worked it out for you when everybody else had given up, maybe he is not too late for me. He hasn't saved me from it, but he's going to save me in it. If I miss him on the front end, then I'm going to look for him in the middle of the situation. And if he doesn't come through in the middle, he's going to hit me on the back end because I know that God is faithful. Can you shout amen? I'm screaming way too loud. Praise God. Whatever you are facing, it's not over. Paul told the Galatian church, he said, Do not grow weary in doing good, for you will reap. Whether you reap it on the front end or in the middle, you will reap if you don't give up. There is something burning inside of me that's telling one of you here, if it's only one person, God has sent me here to say, don't give up. Don't stop. Don't quit. It looks like it's not working. It looks like there's no help, but God's not done. It's not over yet. Stand on your feet and clap your hands to God today. It's not over. Let me tell you this. Let me tell you this this morning. People will give up on you at your lowest point. It's over. When you're dead and you're helpless and you're convicted and you're sentenced. But there's something about the true and living God that I serve. He will not leave you lying in the pit. He will not leave your lifeless body in the tomb. He will not call game over at your lowest point. He's going to wait until he intercedes. Until he raises you up. And he's not going to quit on your lowest day. But he's going to wait till he raises you up. And although everybody else thought it was over for Jesus, when Jesus rose from the dead, triumphant over death, hell, and the grave, with the keys in his hands, executing the kingdom of God and administrating it into being, then God said, it's over. Because it's not 
over until God says it's over. It's not over when people say it's over. It's not over when your spouse says it's over. It's not over when your money says it's over. It's not over. There is hope until God speaks. You've not heard the last word. The enemy wants you to give up. He wants you to quit. He wants to make it so hard that you'll throw in the towel. And God's saying, just keep on. You're going to reap. It's a fact. It's not a question. If you don't get discouraged and give up. I'm here today to tell you, don't let the enemy steal your encouragement. Don't let him steal your hope. The most precious thing you have is the fact that God is good. And he will never leave me. And he will never forsake me. And there is nothing too hard for God. If he can raise the lifeless body of the son, Jesus Christ. If he can cause Daniel to come out victorious. If he can save you. And I know some of you. If he can save you. And deliver you. Many of you in this room never thought you would have this much joy. Never thought you would have this peace and this family. You never thought this was in the cards for you. But God has rescued you. And He has brought you through. And listen, He has not stopped. He has not forgotten you. He may be silent, but He is not distant from you. Keep praying. Keep pushing. Keep believing. Keep declaring, it's not over. I refuse to accept this evidence, it's not over. I refuse to accept this declaration from this friend, from this spouse, from this money situation. It's not over. I want to pray for you today before we're dismissed. If you feel like that the enemy is trying to get you to give up on what you know God has planned for you. And maybe you're discouraged Maybe you're standing strong, but you say, I'm weak. Maybe you're trying to be, be, you know, the disciples said, oh, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. That's okay with God. Put your Superman cape away. God doesn't have to, you don't have to pretend with him. It's okay to say, I believe and I don't believe. Those two are not mutually inexclusive. I, I believe this marriage can work and I don't believe this marriage can work. That's okay. Just bring it to God. And say, God, I'm standing. But we know today that it's not over regardless of what the evidence says, regardless of how stubborn our hearts may be, regardless of how stubborn the situation may be. We know that it's not over until you say it's over and you're not going to leave us on the end. You're not going to leave us on the low point. So, Father, I pray that you would resurrect relationships, that you would resurrect finances, that you would resurrect dreams and hopes and gifts. I know that I know in the spirit there are dreams, there are goals, there are, are visions that you have that people have in this house today that are that, that you'd feel like the enemy has just pronounced the, the, the death on it. And I just speak life into those things. I release encouragement 
Father, in the name of Jesus, lift their spirits. Lift us up, Jesus. We thank you that you... You may not have shielded us from this, but you're going to protect us in the middle of this storm. Right now, wrap your favor around each person in need today, God. Lift up your countenance toward us, God. Make your face to shine upon each situation, Lord. Strengthen our back. Strengthen our shoulders, God. Encourage us and let us stand strong and be faithful. In Jesus' name, Lord. We declare that our future is greater than where we are right now. That tomorrow is going to be better than today. That there is a break of day in the future when all of this will make sense. That there is a a, a daylight coming, God, even though we're in the middle of a night season. Right now, Holy Spirit, I ask that you would move through the hearts of this congregation. And that you would release your power. And your goodness in Jesus' name. I just want to sing that chorus that we began. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. Because that's what it is. It's trust. Just to take Him at His word. Just to rest upon His promise. Just to rest upon His promise. Upon His Just to know, thus saith the Lord. Just to know. It's not over. Thus saith the... Jesus, Jesus, how I trust Him. Declare, Jesus, Jesus, how I trust Him. How I've proved Him over and over and over again. Him over 